Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at the Avenue, it's the Jeff Wagner Show. Come join the conversation on the Old National Bank Talk and Text Line. Old National Bank. Get old. Now, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. So glad to have you spending your Friday afternoon with me. I do not pretend to understand what the afterlife looks like. I, I do I do believe that there is something else that, that's out there, but I can't tell you exactly what it is. And I, I think, you know, I personally believe that there probably is a heaven and there probably is another place and there's a purgatory and all those things. But I don't know how it works. And I could turn out to be, you know, wrong. But I try to live my life by some of those sort of guidelines. And I admit I have this perhaps old-fashioned view of St. Peter at the at the pearly gates. And when there comes a time and the roll is called and you stand in front of St. Peter, I picture that th- there's this giant book and they kind of look through your your life. And, you know, you kind of go through the life and they say, okay, well, these are the good things you did and these are the bad things you did. And ultimately, there is a decision made where you spend the afterlife. Now, I don't know if that's correct or not. It just happens to be kind of my view. And and none of us are perfect. And I understand that there's always going to be pluses and minuses and there's going to be credits and demerits. But there's always situations where I keep thinking, you know, if I'm standing in front of St. Peter, I, I, I don't want to be the guy that did this. Here's the story. Whitefish Bay police have just arrested a serial purse snatcher. They arrested him yesterday. Okay, well, you we say, all right, purse snatching in the scheme of things, Jeff, you know, there, there's a lot worse stuff that people can do. Well, yeah, but here's the deal. Whitefish Bay Police Department has just arrested a serial purse snatcher Thursday after he tried to strike again and ho- at Holy Family and St. Monica Catholic Church. Um, apparently, Christmas Eve, Christmas Eve Mass, there was a woman who was praying at St. Robert's Church. When she got up to receive communion, he stole her purse phone credit cards and two hundred dollars in cash were gone so it's christmas eve you have a lady who's there praying on christmas eve she gets up to receive communion she doesn't take her purse because who's going to steal their purse on christmas eve at church and that is precisely what ended up happening also on christmas eve the guy pulled the same stunt at holy family church and then again on New Year's Day at St. Monica Catholic Church. So, and apparently they caught him when he was back trying to do the same thing. So here you have a guy who is going around, it's Christmas Eve, and when people get up to take communion, he steals their purses. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't want to be this guy who, in standing in front of St. Peter... And St. Peter is looking at that big book, and they're looking at the good things you did and the bad things you did, and they're kind of running this down and saying, huh, what's this entry here? December 31st, 2022, you you were at Holy Family, St. Robert's Catholic Church during the Christmas Eve Mass, and you stole some woman's purse when she got up to take communion. I don't know about you, but I don't want to be the guy that is explaining that. I, I just don't want to. So... 
you know, you can take it for what it's want, what what it's worth. It's not the greatest crime in the world, but it's just one of those where you know karma is a you know what, and that's the kind of thing that I don't know could probably come back to haunt you at some point in time. All right, I want to revisit something we talked about when this was first kicked around a couple weeks ago because it is now on the verge of becoming a reality in the city of Milwaukee. In there, there's about sixty. 400 parking meters and of those 6400 parking meters oh the the majority of them about 4000 of them are in what they call the central business district which is essentially west town east town the third ward the deer district the brewery district and the lower east side it's the area where you know you you would you would go to go to bars and restaurants and attend events the way it works right now is that after 6 p.m. on weeknights, you do not have to feed the parking meters. So parking is free. Uh, additionally, on Saturdays when you come down, parking is free all day. And that's the way it's been pretty much forever. The Common Council on Tuesday unanimously passed a resolution to change that. Under the new rules, if they are in fact enacted, what would happen is you would be required to feed parking meters on weeknights until 9 o'clock at night. So you'd have to go from 6 until 9 o'clock at night. On top of that, if you came down on Saturday during the day, you would have to feed the meter until 4 o'clock. One of the other things that they would do, though, is that you wouldn't have to... Right now, there's rules that say you, you can't just... You have to move your car after like the two hours has expired. They would, for those evenings, they would extend that. So, for example, if you parked at 5 o'clock and you put two hours worth of money in the meter, and again, most of these are credit cards now, you could extend it to 7 o'clock. You'd have to come back and, quote, unquote, feed the meter again, but you wouldn't have to move your car. They estimate that by doing this, they will generate potentially hundreds of thousands of dollars in extra revenue. Now, nobody knows for sure, but that's the plan. They think that this is going to be a big moneymaker. Matter of fact, um, some people think it might generate up to a million dollars a year annually, and the city does rely on parking revenue for its budget. As a matter of fact, um, they're budgeting $4.8 million. Let's round up to $5 million in parking revenue in 2023. Our number is 855-616-1620. That's the old National Bank talk and text line. Okay, let us let us tee this up. This would be a huge revenue generator for the city. On top of that, um, well, it's just a huge revenue generator. The flip side is it's certainly going to inconvenience people who are used to coming down for the evening and just parking their car in a vacant spot on the street and then not having to worry about it while they go into dinner or whatever. So the question is, is the added revenue that this is going to generate, is this worth the inconvenience that it is going to cause people. Our number, 855-616-1620. Right now, the ordinance is on hold because one of the aldermen, Bob Bauman, who voted for it, is moving to repeal this particular ordinance. There's no enactment date, so it's still up in the air, but 
but it's much more likely to happen. 855-616-1620. All right, should you have to pay for parking evenings and on Saturdays in downtown Milwaukee? What do you think? 855-616-1620. And if they do this, will it significantly discourage people from going into this district, these various districts, and patronizing the bars and the restaurants and attending, for example, the, the symphony or attending you know, some of the, all the other stuff that goes on downtown? Good idea, bad idea. 855-616-1620. We discuss in a moment. Poor Jeff Wagner. Right after this, stay in touch. You can reach us on the old National Bank talk and text line at 855-616-1620. Old National Bank. Get old. Now, about your house. Eric Brown is the president of Siding Unlimited, your contractor for new windows, roofing, siding, decks, and a whole lot more. He knows about your house. So what do you know, Eric? Window condensation is an epidemic. Okay, well maybe it isn't a widespread disease, but it is widespread. And we always get questions about why my windows have all this water on the glass. The reality is that window condensation is natural and a simple science. When the outside temperatures drop, your window's glass will get cooler. The moisture in the air inside your home condenses along the coolest edge of the window, causing water drops. This goes away when the surface of the window warms or when there's air movement inside the home that won't allow the moisture to condense. Will new windows eliminate window condensation? Nobody can sell you a window that is guaranteed to eliminate window condensation because we can't control how cold it gets outside. And controlling the moisture level in your home can be tricky. However, you can control the moisture level in your home, and we can sell you windows that will put up a great fight. New windows that are made for Wisconsin's climate have Energy Star ratings and have upgraded glass, seals, and frames that will help reduce the chance that moisture will collect on the glass. Our windows, installed the right way, will put up a great fight so if condensation were to occur, it would happen at the coldest temperatures. Although nobody can sell you a window that will guarantee eliminating window condensation, Siding Unlimited will install a window that will greatly reduce the chances of it occurring as well as reduce your energy bills and return comfort to your home in the process. Eric and his crews at Siding Unlimited are your go-to contractor here for replacement windows and roofing decks and, of course, siding. Take the next step. Check them out at SidingUnlimited.com. Siding Unlimited. Siding and a whole lot more. Back for more, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. 855-616-1620. That's the old National Bank talk and text line. Hey, Wisconsin, it might be cold out right now, but soon it's going to be warming up and you'll need to get your home ready. That's why I'm here for the Jeff Wagner Home Improvement Showcase presented by Great Midwest Bank. And this week we're brought to you by the Home Market. Check out their new location in downtown Milwaukee, 151 South 1st Street, or visit their website at shopthehomemarket.com. It's the Jeff Wagner Home Improvement Showcase on WTMJ. 855-616-1620. That's the old National Bank talk and text line. What we're talking about is this plan that passed the Common Council unanimously on Tuesday, although one alderman is now objecting and saying that, we're, we're, that they're going to have to reconsider this. But what it would do is it would extend meter parking in the, the essentially the downtown area, the various entertainment districts and things like this. Right now, 
after 6 o'clock, you don't have to feed meters. You would have to feed meters till 9 o'clock. Saturdays, you do not have to feed meters at all. Under this plan, you would have to feed meters until 4 p.m. The estimate is that this could generate hundreds of thousands of dollars in additional revenue, maybe as much as a million bucks. So the question is, all right, would this be a good idea? Now, to me, I mean, to me, I guess I look at this and say, right now, it's not like Milwaukee isn't faced with all sorts of, of issues. And and what is, of course, the number one issue that deters people from coming downtown, from driving downtown? Well, it, it's fear of, of crime. So you've already got people who are reluctant to travel into the downtown area because they're afraid they're going to get robbed. They're afraid they're going to get carjacked. They're afraid that... Um, Their cars are going to be stolen. So in this environment, I guess I'm wondering what the Common Council is thinking by turning around and saying, okay, this is the environment. We know we've got all these different concerns, so let's make it more expensive for people to drive down to um, downtown. It just seems to me that, and I, I understand what they're thinking, they, they want the money. And somebody was texting in saying, well, I'll, I support, I might support this as long as they're going to put it into the roads. No, this goes into the general revenue. I mean, this, any parking revenue they get goes into part of the general budget to be spent, you know, accordingly. It's just a flat out revenue thing. It's not, to my understanding, dedicated to fixing potholes or anything like that. I don't think there's any way you can do this and not have this be another nail in the coffin of trying to bring people into the area um, on off hours. 855-616-1620. Jeff, even if parking were free every day, I wouldn't go downtown because of all the issues going on. Well, that's, I mean, I, I understand that that's a factor. And I mean, I've said this before, that when I go downtown <coughs> for, for events, for example, I mean, one of the things that I, I mean, I, I, I spend the 35 bucks or the 40 bucks or whatever they charge to, you know, park in the parking structures because of safety. 855-616-1620. Let's take a quick break. Back with your calls in just a moment. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 855-616-1620, which is the old National Bank talk and text line. You know, it's interesting because when I, I first thought about this, I guess my reaction was, would this that is paying for, for parking from 6 till 9 o'clock on weeknights and, and on Saturdays. Would this really deter people from coming down to Milwaukee? Would this really turn it off? And I, I have been surprised because the reaction to this seems to be uniformly negative. And, I mean, a lot of people just see this as, as what it really is, which is a, a money grab. And I would argue that given all the other issues, the out-of-control crime, the car thefts, things like that, that this is, is really the last thing that the Common Council should want to do, um, which is to make it more expensive for people to have to come down. Jeff, along with the high high crime rate, they now want me to pay for parking. I will never be in Milwaukee again. Horrible ideas by really bad community leaders. Will the last business in Milwaukee um, please shut off the lights? Jeff, this is just another reason not to go to the mean streets of Milwaukee. Jeff, pay to park and get your car broken into or stolen? You know, no thanks. You know, that's, you know, if you wanted to sell this and you were willing to say, okay, here's what we're going to do. We are going to take 
the extra parking revenue that we think this is going to generate, and we are going to turn around and we are going to put this into law enforcement. We are going to put this into paying for more cops and dedicated traffic patrols and things of the like. You know, maybe then you know you you have a, a selling point. So people who come down, for example, to attend an event at Fiserv or whatever, and decide they want to take the chance of parking on the street and walking a little bit farther, so those people at least know that, yes, they, they might have to feed a meter, and yes, they might have to feed a meter longer, but, you know, that, that few bucks that they're putting in at least is going to be generating revenue, which will have more patrols that will make it less likely that when they come out, their car is going to be gone or their car is going to be, you know, broken into. Jeff, my thought thought on this is that people who go downtown won't be deterred by this and those that don't go downtown will still not go downtown you either love it or you don't and if you do you will pay the meter i don't know i mean see i I, see i wrestle with that because here's here's the thing for there are a number of choices that, that people have. You know, we, we talk about that a lot. There's there's all sorts of restaurants you can go to. There's all sorts of bars that you can go to. And convenience is a huge factor. Now, you know, maybe it's a little bit different if, if there's a show that's going on at the Riverside or there's something that's going on at the, the arena or the Milwaukee Theater or, or whatever. So you're going down specifically for that. But absent that, if you're just saying, okay, where are we going to go to eat? Or, you know, we there's a there's a, a bar that we want to check out. Well, I mean, convenience is, is a factor. And if you're sitting there and saying, okay, here's the deal. You know, we're going to go there, and we're planning to get there, oh, I don't know, around 6 o'clock at night. But we're going to have to depend on street parking. And now what we're going to have to do is we're going to have to, we're going to, have to feed the meter. So that's going to be a few extra bucks. And on top of that, we're going to have to <clears throat> come out because the, the meter – it, it's only good. We're we're not going to have to move the car, but the meter is only good for like two hours. So if it's eight o'clock and we parked at six o'clock and we don't want to get one of those nasty tickets, what we're going to have to do is somebody's going to have to run out and feed the meter again. I do think that that is a deterrent to tourism. It makes it more difficult to drive. Now, part of that might be the overall plan. Part of that might be, hey, we want to get people out of their cars. You know, we want to have a more urban type of environment. You know, we, we want to, you know, encourage people to Uber or we want to encourage people to take the bus and all those sort of things. And, and that's so and so we're going to we're going to punish people for parking at the parking meters by making them number one pay and number two by making them, you know, come out and have to continue to feed the meters. So if the idea is to force people out of their cars Okay, maybe this has a goal. My point is, this is not the time in the history of the city to try to force people out of their cars. You want to make it as welcoming as possible. And by making people have to pay on weekends, um, this adds the hassle factor to it. And this, I think, discourages people from coming even more. I, I don't know what the Common Council is thinking is beyond trying to just like generate revenue and thinking that this is going to be easy. But for me, this for a lot of people is going to be just one more reason to avoid downtown. 
And I guess my question is going to be, why do you want to create more reasons for people to avoid downtown? Interestingly, there's a lot of communities that are going the other way, and they're removing the parking meters. And they're saying, look, we we want to create um, really user-friendly areas, so you know, come on down, park for free on the streets, patronize the restaurants. We're moving the other direction in Milwaukee, and they want the money. I think it might backfire. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Okay, let us go where angels fear to tread. There is an ongoing problem in southeastern Wisconsin with with coyotes, or if you prefer coyote, it depends. They, they Both pronunciations are acceptable. Yes, I know you've got the old Roadrunner cartoons where it was Wiley Coyote and other parts of the country they're referred to as coyotes. But whatever, coyotes, coyotes. You know, you say apple, you know, you you say potato, I say potato. But but here's the deal. In southeastern Wisconsin, there has been a continuing issue with the encroachment of, of coyotes moving into the more populated areas. They are attracted by food. They are not scared off by humans. And it, it's been an ongoing problem. I and mean, I've told this story before. I have some very, very dear friends who live in Whitefish Bay, right right on the lake. And they, they have a huge, or at least at the time, a couple of years ago, they had a huge problem with coyotes who would come into the yard and would attack pets that were out there. I, my friends lost a couple cats because the, the coyotes would come in and they, they would attack them. They are... They are predators, and the, the cats, in this case, are, are prey. The concern is always that, you know, if you leave a small child out there unattended, will a coyote or a coyote attack the, the small child? And the answer of don't leave your pets outside or don't let your kids outside, that that's – I'm not sure that that is a reasonable sort of answer. So they've had a problem in Wauwatosa, and this goes back for a while. In October, a dog had to receive stitches after um, they found three puncture wounds on the Labrador's back side, and um, they determined it was because they had coyotes in the background, um, in the backyard, that had attacked the, the pets. And so in Wauwatosa, what they do is they have this policy where they will hire trappers. And what happens that the trappers will come in and they will set traps in areas where there's been reported coyote activity. Um, let's see, last year, a trapper trapped five coyotes after a dog was fatally attacked. So the coyote traps are, are non-lethal, but after they're trapped, they're, they're not relocated, they're, they're killed. So that's the, the process here. They also, in Wauwatosa, they have... A, a non-lethal, you know, recommendation. I mean, they recommend, you know, removing attractants like food and water sources. They recommend keeping pets supervised and uh, leashed and things like that. They recommend hazing. That is, if you see a coyote, you yell and you use like a sound device, a whistle or whatever to to scare them off. But nevertheless, they, they still, they will trap to remove this. 
Well, this has generated some controversy because you have yes, some of these animal rights activists who are appalled at the idea that you would trap coyotes and that you would then you know, kill them. And they say, well, these coyotes are here to stay. And what we need to do is we need just to figure out ways to live with them. And presumably, if they kill some people's pets and things like that, that's, you know, that that's on the people who had the stupidity in their mind to leave their their put their cat out at, at night or leave their dog, you know, in their backyard while they weren't necessarily with the dog. OK, our number is 855-616-1620. That's the old National Bank talk and text line. I guess I, I look at this and I, I understand that, you know, coyotes are God's creatures, just like everything else. But the truth of the matter is you cannot allow them to overrun, you know, urban areas. And I'm all in favor of, you know, telling people, hey, keep your garbage cans covered. And I'm all in favor of saying, you know, keep your pets on a leash when you're walking them and things like that. But at the same time, you know, when you have these predators that are roaming around in backyards of urban areas, I think it is foolish to say, okay, we're not going to remove them. You know, if you can do whatever you can to discourage their presence, that that's fine. But at the same time, you know, if you come out in the backyard of your house, and again, we're, we're not talking about a rural area. If you're in Wauwatosa and you walk out into your backyard and you see three coyotes in the backyard, I think the appropriate thing to do is to call the authorities and to have them come out and to bring out the trapper. Now, it might be... Like, again, you're trying to put your finger in the dike because it might be that this is just going to become an overwhelming problem. But I don't think it is reasonable to expect people to say, OK, you're going to be trapped in your house. You don't feel comfortable sitting out on your you know, back porch. Don't leave your child um, in the playset, you know, in the backyard. Don't leave your dog out in your backyard because they might get attacked. I don't think that's reasonable for an urban area. 855-616-1620, that's the old National Bank talk and text line. What do we do moving forward with the coyote problem? We discuss in just a moment. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Look, in, in its simplest fashion, if I'm walking my dog in my neighborhood and, and I see a couple coyotes or coyotes, if you prefer, come running out there and, and menacing the dog, I, I want them gone. Yes, I'm not going to leave the dog unattended or anything like that. But but these these are predators that, in my opinion, do not belong in urban areas. And yet there's more and more of them in the area. So if you have this situation, look, I, I get the coexist and let's live it, let live and things like that. But the truth of the matter is, if you live in an urban area like Wauwatosa and you walk out into your backyard and you see three coyotes wandering through that backyard, I think you have every right to call animal control and animal control should come out and trap them and then get rid of them. Jeff, there's no shortage of coyotes. They're not endangered. They don't belong in the city, and we have to keep them from overrunning our yards and parks. They are not more important than our kids, our pets, or our elders. 855-616-1620. Mike on the northwest side. Mike, you're on WTMJ. Hi, good afternoon, Jeff. Uh, I think that if you have a bunch of coyotes in your yard and you're just going to be sitting there waiting and be prisoner in your own house, that's kind of irrational thinking. Coyotes should be trapped and gotten rid of the out of the urban areas, and eventually the smart coyotes will stay out of the urban areas and stay in the woods, and we can peacefully coexist that way. I think it's just uh, people that want these coyotes running around and mingle with them are 
not thinking straight. Nuts. I thought you were going to say nuts. Uh, okay, <laughs> nuts is the a better word. <laughs> okay, thanks for the call, Mike. Well, I mean, again, I, I just, do, do I think that you, you want to go out of your way to <clears throat> capture and kill animals? No, but at the same time, you know, how would we feel if you had, I don't know, black bears, for example, that, that were roaming through, you know, Wauwatosa and were attacking pets and things like that? Wouldn't we say that, well, maybe we need to remove them from the area? Jeff, I have them in my neighborhood in the city of Racine, and I don't particularly like the idea of them being trapped and killed, but something has to get done. They're on people's porches. I can't walk my dog. If I'm walking my dogs, all of a sudden there's two of them just standing there staring at us. And you know they're staring at you trying to figure out, okay, how can we get to, should we attack? You know, can we eat the dog? You know, all those sorts of things. Can we attack the dog? And the more they get comfortable, the more we let this go and the more comfortable they get around people, the more likely it is that you're going to have one of these attacks. Gianni in Montello. Gianni, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Gianni. Jeff. Yes, Hi, Gianni. Jeff, I'm here. Listen, uh, Southern, Southern Marquette County, uh, we don't have a, uh, such a coyote problem here, but we have a deer problem. But getting back to the coyote issue, um, I, listen, I am sympathetic to the animal rights issues as much as anybody else. However, if you have a trend that is going in the wrong direction and something isn't done about it, um, this is going to get out of control and a, a child is going to be killed. So there has to be some intervention. Uh, it's just it, it's just a, a fact. Yeah. No, Gianni, thanks for the call. I, I agree. You know, I guess I, I just agree completely. I agree completely. I mean, and our, our, a number of texters are making the, the, this point, and it's what you were just hinting at as well. Jeff, I would not worry about eradicating coyotes or other predators in suburban areas. The number of coyotes that exist in this cunt county, in this country, and the state is staggering. Right? It's not like we're dealing with endangered species or, or anything here. It's not like they're going to be, you know, going away. Jeff, I hide. I hunt coyotes for sport, and while they have a role in the ecosystem, they are grossly overpopulated. My in-laws own a farm where every year's litters of 10 to 12 farm cats are killed by them. They attack sheep. They attack fawns. They attack calves. Animal rights activists hold animals at the same level important as humans, and that's your first clue of, of insanity there. Well, look, I, I mean, here, here's the deal. Sooner or later... You're going to have kids that are attacked, and while they say that is rare, and I appreciate that it's rare right now, it does, in fact, happen. But this idea that, and somebody texted me and said, well, I I don't think children should ever be left unattended, and you you shouldn't leave a pet unattended in the backyard. Well, wait a second here. Now, I I mean... (laughs) Okay, think about, you know, how many people that have a backyard, and, and maybe you put the dog out on, you know, you put one of those little uh, posts in the ground, and, you know, the dog is out there, and the dog gets to run around and stay outside. I mean, how, how many people end up, you know, doing things like that? So now we're going to say, you, you can't do that. We're going to say, okay, you've got a small child, and here you've got the child in a playpen or something in the backyard while mom runs into the kitchen or goes and, you know, uh, puts dishes in the dishwasher or, you know, puts on the washing machine or something like that. But we're going to say you can't do that because, well, you know, you've got these coyotes that are there. No, I mean, I'm sorry. I'm going to come down when it comes to 
wild animals who are predators who really, in my opinion, don't belong in urban areas, I'm always going to decide outside with the homeowners and I'm going to side with their pets and I'm going to side with their children, for goodness sakes. Um, let's talk to Jeff in Waterford. Jeff, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hi, Jeff. Can you hear me? Yep, can go you ahead. You're on the air. Yep, I can hear you. Okay, here's the situation. I live in Waterford. We're rural. We don't want your coyotes. We have our own coyotes. We have our own raccoons. If you can move your coyotes by us, certainly we could move our raccoons to where you are. Well, they, they don't move them. They this kill is them. a problem for you. doesn't mean you get to make it a problem for us. These are urban. They belong in the country. They're in the country. We already have all we could stand. That's why they moved into the city. Uh, Jeff, th- thanks for call. I, I don't, I, I don't, I know. As far as I know, they don't, they don't move them. I, I think when they, when they capture the coyotes, and that's what some of the people in Wauwatosa, the animal rights activists, are upset about. When they capture the coyotes or coyotes um, in Wauwatosa, they kill them. And, and again, I, I don't have a problem with that. I, I just don't. If that makes me an awful person, well, there's probably all sorts of other things I do that make me an awful person. They just, to me, coyotes do not belong in these urban areas. And when you find them, you need to remove them. And again, I understand the argument that maybe you're fighting a losing battle because they are incredibly overpopulated and they are moving into areas as they become less and less fearful of people and more and more attracted to garbage and resources of food. But to me, that that's a warning sign. That That's saying as they become more populated and less afraid of people, that's saying we need to be more aggressive in trying to discourage their, their presence and remove them from areas where they just don't belong. Um, Jeff, I live on 115th and Blue Mound. I've had three coyotes circle me with my three-year-old daughter and follow me three blocks. My question to people who are protesting the removal of these animals is who can I sue if one of these animals bites my child? Um, If my dog bites anybody, I'm liable. If the coyote bites my child, can I sue the state? Well, the answer would would be no, but that's... That that's precisely it. Can you imagine? Okay, you're out for a walk, and this we're not talking about rural area, 115th and Blue Mound. So you're out there. You're you're. I don't know if the kid's walking and or in the stroller or whatever, and you see that you know you're being trailed by three coyotes. It they do not belong in urban areas. You know. Period. Ron at Wauwatosa. Ron, your neck of the woods. Good afternoon. Hey, Jeff. Oh, yeah, I live in Wauwatosa, right off uh, 101st and North uh, by Blue Mountain Country Club. I've got sure. coyotes in my backyard all the time. Uh, my concern is I've got four or five new families on the block that have kids five years and younger, and one of these things is going to grab one of these kids one of these times. That's what I'm worried about. Yeah. Now, the, the, the so-called experts are saying, well, you know, coyotes attacking people are very rare, um, but it does happen, and I guess my concern, like I was saying, is is the coyotes become more more socialized and less fearful of people. You know, they're not going to be making distinctions between three and four year old children and you know small or medium sized dogs. That that it, you're right. It seems to me it is absolutely inevitable. Yeah, um, you know, northern Wisconsin bars hold coyote contests. They'll go out on a weekend and shoot fifty coyotes. You know, you've got no main predator here to take care of them. 
So they're just going to multiply. And like um, you said, they get bolder and bolder. It, it, it is it is inevitable. Thanks for the call, Ron. I, I appreciate it. So, you know, this is, uh, Jeff, coyotes have been known to breed with wolves, creating a coyote, a, a coyote wolf at an even higher predator than the coyotes. When natural prey is gone, rabbits, etc., coyotes have no choice but going for other prey. Dogs, kids, cats, things like that. Yeah, I, this is to me. This is an absolute no-brainer. And and I understand that you've got a small handful of people of the animal rights activists that are out there and they're protesting. And they think this is terrible. Well, okay, you know when when a, maybe they don't mind that dogs getting attacked and maybe they don't mind cats getting killed. But you know when that small child is killed, you know who? What are they going to say then? And so that's why I, I think. What Wauwatosa has been doing is appropriate. You find them, you trap them, you dispose of them, and you know maybe it's just a perpetual sort of thing, and maybe they're going to be breeding and, and overwhelming the area faster than they can be dealt with, but that doesn't mean you just throw up your hands and say we're not doing anything, period. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. More Jeff Wagner right after this. And this is Jeff Wagner, clearly antagonizing the animal rights lovers. But sorry, I, I stand by this my opinion. Coyotes are a nuisance. They do not belong in urban areas. One of our texters says, Jeff, they're moving into cities because they're hungry and overpopulated. And eventually dinner is just going to look like dinner. And they're not going to differentiate between a dog and a child. Amen. Jeff, we have a motion-activated doorbell on our back deck for our pets. It's not unusual for it to go off at night. When you look out, the coyotes are right up on the deck. Now, that would kind of um, freak me out. One of our listeners, Lamar in Orlando, who's occasional caller, says, all these gun owners and people are afraid of coyotes, use those guns to defend yourself. Well, I mean, here, here's the thing. It's illegal it's illegal to discharge a, a firearm in this sort of fashion. Now, if you're walking your dog and, you know, a coyote comes, a coyote comes to attack you and you happen to have, you know, a gun with you, you could use it to defend yourself and the dog. But just going out in, in Wauwatosa, for example, and, and shooting coyotes that you find on your porch, that's, that's going to get you charged criminally. So you, you cannot do that. It, it's a problem. One of my, one of my friends who's who's listening, who lives in Wauwatosa, says maybe we could just scare them, you know, shoot them with paintballs. He's being funny. You know, shoot them with shoot them with paintballs. And I said, yeah, scare them off. Send them off to Brookfield. Let people in Brookfield deal with it. No, the problem is we've got to confront this. You've got to deal with it. And for some of these animal rights activists who are afraid that, oh, this is just inhumane. Well, okay, when the first kid gets attacked and mauled by a couple of these things, these coyotes. All right, you know, what are you going to say to mom and dad? Okay, when we come back, he said 10 years was enough. He's now changed his mind. Does anybody care? We discuss in just a minute. We, that's our topic right after the top of the hour news. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at the Avenue, it's the Jeff Wagner Show. Now, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. I, I, I'm, I'm being swamped with comments on, on the coyote issue. And, and I would say 95% are they are predators. They do not belong in urban areas. And, uh, you know, th- I get the flip side. One of our listeners was using the, the analogy of, well, it's kind of like with Native Americans. You know, when we, we pushed into their territory and we, you know, put them on reservations and stuff. And I, I thought that was going a little bit too far because, 
coyotes coming into Milwaukee County and attacking pets, I, I don't think that's the same as, you know, again, mo- moving Native Americans into the reservations. But that's that's just me. Okay, I, I want to talk about something that I concede at the outset might be a little wonky, but it's, to me, a very interesting topic, and it, it raises questions of whether or not the government should be using our tax dollars to try to advance social issues and and social solutions. So here's the deal. Uh, One of the things that we learned during the pandemic and that the resulting supplies chain shortages is that we we don't do a good enough job in this country of manufacturing like computer chips and things like that. You know, one of the reasons there's many reasons why we're looking at inflation now, but part of the reason inflation started was you had all this money that got pumped into the economy, the free money that was was given out during the pandemic, and that led and then combined with the pandemic that created a shortage of goods, so costs went up. People have more money to spend, but there's not as many cars that are around. So what happens? The price of the cars go up, and it becomes more difficult to get them. Well, what was one of the reasons why, for example? There, there was a backlog of cars. Well, people couldn't get the computer chips, right? I mean, nowadays, you know, cars depend, their their computers on everything. You need the various chips. And one of the problems with that is because, you know, we don't have enough manufacturers in this country of, like, the semiconductor chips. It, it's, it's a problem. So as part of what they call the, the CHIPS Act, um, the government set aside $52 billion, not an insignificant amount, that is devoted towards expanding the U.S. semiconductor manufacturing and, and research. And the idea is, long term, we want to make the United States less reliant on foreign suppliers for the critical chips that power computers, household appliances, cars, and more. Okay, right. It's something I, I think... This had bipartisan support. We would all agree that, you know, we don't want to depend on, on China to get our computer chips. We, we want to create more in the industry. So we're going to take $52 billion, and we're going to use it to try to be seed money for investment. Okay, everybody agrees with that. Well, there is a catch to this. Here is the catch. Tuesday, the Commerce Department released the application form for manufacturers who seek funds under the law, right? Okay, now you think this would be kind of a straightforward sort of thing, right? It would be, okay, here, I'm I'm in the business of manufacturing computer chips. I want to get in on some of this federal money, and here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to use it to expand my plant. I'm going to use it to, you know, hire research people, you know, whatever. You, you would think, or I want to start my own computer chip business, and this is what I'm going to use the money for, okay? You would think it would be simple and straightforward, But it's not, because under the Biden administration, in order to get a, a grant, in order to get money, what you have to do is you have to promise that you will guarantee affordable, high quality child care for workers who build or operate a plant. Um, you'll have to present a detailed plan that says, as a condition of getting this money, that you know I am going to provide childcare for 
the people that are expanding my plant and the people that will work there. Um, so you can use some of the money to do that. But follow me on this. The requirement is we think you should have child care. So as a condition of getting this money and expanding it, you have to provide the child care. I have, look, paid child care at work may or may not be a great thing, okay? And, and lots of companies offer it, and, and many don't. But the question here is, if we're trying to take money and our goal is we want to, you know, we want to get more computer chips made and we want more factories or whatever, what does child care have to do with that? And the answer is absolutely nothing. It, might this be a good perk that a business might want to extend in order to make it a more desirable place to work? Of, of course. i got no problem with that. But the government is saying if you want part of this money, you have to provide child care for the workers. Um, 855-616-1620. That's the old National Bank talk and text line. I'm not against child care, but I am against the government saying, we think this is a good social policy. So we're going to require this as a condition of you getting money to build the chip plant. Why don't we just say we need the computer chips here? We're going to give you the money. You can do the computer chip. You get the plant going. And then, you know, you decide what benefits that you're going to provide your employees. 855-616-1620. That is the old National Bank talk and text line. I, I don't want to be too wonky about this but is it really the government's role to say our goal is in this case we want more chip manufacturing we want more semiconductor chip manufacturing so we're going to help you do it but as a condition of our help we want you in this case to provide child care 855-616-1620 and i'm not against child care i'm just against the government forcing this on employers as a condition of doing something that we think we need. 855-616-1620, we discuss in a minute. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 855-616-1620. Here's what the Wall Street Journal says about this. And, I, and again, I apologize for being a little bit wonky, but there's this is the bigger picture. Okay, we, we use this idea, all right, we, we want to encourage investment and we want to build more plants and have America produce more computer chips. Okay, it, and, we, and we want to provide taxpayer money to help do that. Okay, you can get down with that. I understand it. But then this is what the Biden administration does. Let's take this and then let's use it as a way to start, to, to foist our own social policy on on these various companies. Here's what the Wall Street Journal says. Government subsidies are never free, and now we're learning the price U.S. semiconductor firms and others will pay for signing on to President Biden's industrial policy. They will become the indentured servants of progressive social policy. The administration is using the semiconductor subsidies to impose much of the social policy that was in the failed Build Back Better bill. Um, again, the, it's, it's, it's these idea and the policy that, okay, if you want the money, you've got to provide child care for employees and construction workers, and also you've got to craft your child care plans in tandem with community stakeholders. Um, 855-616-1620. Let's see. Jeff, I'm childless. Why is it the responsibility of employers to provide child care in the first place? 
where's my perk uh, to equal this benefit? Jeff, why was child care singled out? Why not free health care, $25 per hour minimum wage, only union labor to be used to build plants, certain percentage of employees have to be minorities, etc.? Where does it end? Or some of these required already? Yeah, there are some other requirements a- as well with regard to wages and things like that. Jeff, this is horrible government policy. Government needs to stay out of what benefits employers offer. I I would say there. Jeff, the semiconductor chip company should have known there would be a quid pro quo. Progressives want to control more of the economy, and companies should know better than to expect there not to be significant strings attached to government subsidies. Well, I guess that's my point here. This, This isn't in the bill. Right. This isn't in the bill that Congress passed. This is in the regulations that the Biden administration is putting out that says if you want to qualify for the dough, you're going to have to have these different um, strings. Jeff, isn't this another example towards socialistic policies? Well, well, it is. There, there's no question about it. It it is eight, five, five, six, one, six, one, six, twenty. Tim and Sean O. Tim, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Yeah, hey, thanks a lot for taking my phone call. You know, I think it's kind of hypocritical of the government. You know, they're they're typically a, an incubator for social change, and they're mandating child care for these businesses, but they don't even offer child care for their own federal employees. I'm a federal employee, and I don't get child care. <laughs> yeah, that, there is. What would that, what would the word for that be, uh, Tim? Ironic? You know, it's, it's, yeah. maybe there's other words you could use, but I'll use the word ironic on that. Yeah, the federal employees don't have that, but this is the condition of getting the, the government money to do it. Yeah, no, th- no th- exactly. No, thanks for calling. Yeah. No, I, I appreciate it. Now, look, I, I want to be consistent. There are, and every case is, is different. The, the city of Milwaukee, for example, has been very, very successful in luring um, certain businesses to relocate into downtown Milwaukee. And one of the things that they have done is they have provided financial incentives to the businesses to locate as a condition of the business getting the, the money from the city of Milwaukee. They have to guarantee that they're going to have, you know, X number of, I think it was a Fiserv. I think the same thing is true with NML, with Northwestern Mutual, that they're going to have to have, as a condition of getting all the money the city wants to provide, they're going to have X number of people that are actually going to be working in the city. That, to me, is different than, than what this is. That is, hey, Milwaukee is saying, we're going to give you an incentive to come down here, and in exchange for you know us giving you the money, we want you to do things that are going to directly benefit the city of Milwaukee, namely have a, a certain nucleus of a number of employees. That, to me, is a quid pro quo that, that makes sense. This isn't one of those. This is... This is just pure socialist social policy. The Biden administration thinks employers should be required to offer child care. They tried to get this through Congress in a bill they passed before. It didn't work. So now they're trying to backdoor it. You want money to build these computer chips and stuff? Fine, but we're going to implement this social policy. And that's where I think the whole thing again, ends up breaking down. If we take a noble cause, yes, we want to be less dependent on foreign companies for our computer chips. Yes, we want to put money into this industry to help us become less dependent. I'm all in favor of that. But taking it this next step and putting all these strings on it because you think that this is what, I I don't know, your view of America should look like, sorry, it's flat out 
wrong. And my guess is this is only the first step. You're going to see more attempts to do this moving forward. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Well, you're going to have to trust me on this one because I I didn't say it on the air, but I have said it to countless people over the last couple weeks. Everybody was talking to me about this Alex Murdaugh trial and a a number of my my close friends and stuff. They said, what do you think is going to happen? And I said, the guy's guilty as as hell. He's going to get get, get convicted. And people, well, I don't know. You know, maybe all you need is one juror to believe him and stuff. And I kept saying, he's he he's he's just he's just guilty. The evidence here is overwhelming. Well, you know, he he hit on the witness stand, and there was one juror who was tearing up or something like that. I said, no, he's 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 lying on the witness stand. He's admitted he's lying about things. He's going to get convicted. So, I guess so. Last night, I'm looking. I'm seeing the jury comes back. They they convict him. It's a 28 day trial. They come in with a guilty verdict in three hours. Which you, you got to understand the way juries work. You, you get back into the jury room, you kind of settle in, you get a cup of coffee, a couple people go to the bathroom, you pick your jury for a per, per, for person. That that takes a little bit of time. To bring in a guilty verdict like this in, in, in a trial that lasts this long in the space of <clears throat> j- just th- three hours is, is just staggering. And it demonstrates, again, the, how, how just overwhelmingly <coughs> guilty that this, this guy was. The... The the story I was, was telling, and I, I told this story a few weeks ago. I, Lorencia Benbenek, who is of course for for people who are new to southeastern Wisconsin, this is the, for, she was uh, involved with the Milwaukee Police Department, and she was married to a Milwaukee police officer, <coughs> and she was convicted of of the murder of his ex wife uh, Christine Schultz, and then. You know, went broke out of Tachita, the woman's prison, and you know went on the lamb, and she passed away a few years ago. And it's been the subject of of all this conversation about you know was she guilty or not. And I always tell the story. She was that her trial was going on in Milwaukee County when I was a senior in law school, and I can remember going down to the courtroom with a couple of my my classmates, and I remember watching watching her testimony. And it was something that I, I always took with me uh, for the, the 10 or 12 years I worked in the U.S. Attorney's Office as a prosecutor because she took the witness stand. Defendants rarely take the witness stand because in most cases they're they're guilty and they're not going to be able to con juries. Now, in the Lorencia Bambana case, I remember watching her testify, and I was struck by the fact that she was lying. Now, I, I, don't, I don't know... Whether, you know, she worked in tandem with other people or whatever, I I just know that I watched her testify and I came away with the inescapable conclusion that she was lying. And jurors don't like to be lied to. And it's always one of those things where if you hit the witness stand, and and that's what Alex Murdaugh did, and there's no question, he got caught in in a bunch of lies, and he admitted, yeah, I lied about this and I lied about that. Once jurors think that you are a liar, you're, you're just done. That, that's just the reality because they're not going to believe you on anything else. Now, the Murdoch case was just I thought the evidence was just overwhelming. But the bottom line is, if you're going to get on the witness stand and 
lie about some things to juries, you're 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 just done for. You're you're going to be toast. And that's I, I always that always kind of informed my thinking about the whole Lorencia Benbenet case because there are all these people saying, Oh, she was just railroaded and things like that and I'm thinking, man, if you were in that courtroom that day in nineteen eighty two and and you watched her testimony you would have, I think, everybody that watched it shared that opinion that, that she was lying, and that led to her conviction. Um, it, it, it took that jury a lot longer than three hours. Alex Murdaugh, and of course sentenced to consecutive life prison sentences today, couldn't happen to a nicer guy, actually, the embodiment of evil. The jury reached the right verdict, and they reached it in record time. Kudos to them. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. One of our texters says, Jeff, talking about that Murdoch case, it, one of the jurors, the jury said it took him 45 minutes <clears throat> to reach the verdict, which, you know, 70 some witnesses, 28 days. There, there, clearly they were not buying what he was selling. The one, the, the one comment I saw, oh gosh, was it, it was Good Morning America, and they had an interview with one of the jurors, and this is just a personal sort of thing. I hate it when the jurors go on and do the, these interviews. They're they're allowed to do it in in many many cases. But it just, I, I always wonder why. Just because it always, first of all, as, as a former prosecutor, you're always, you always hate to see some juror on TV because you never know what they're going to say. And you're never going to know if they, if they say something that gives the defendant who's been convicted a basis for appeal. It's like, okay, you know, that, that's, you, you don't want that. But secondly, I've always been of the, I've, I've always felt that, there, there's some things that go on behind closed doors that should stay behind closed doors. And, and I, by that, I mean, you've got, for example, a jury. The jurors, I think, should feel free. And I've never I've never been on a jury. I'm never going to be on a jury. That, that's just the reality of it. But the I think jurors should feel free to have an, an open, honest, frank conversation, you know, behind closed doors without. I don't know, fear that, you know, one of their number is going to, you know, go on TV after the whole process is done and say, boy, could you, well, there were some, there were two people who were really Looney Tune or, or whatever. I've always thought that what goes on behind closed doors in the jury room should stay behind closed doors in the jury room. So whenever I see these jurors that are, are on TV, you know, talking about the deliberations and all, do they have a right to do it? Yeah, and there's, you know, maybe there's some jurisdictions that have rules against it, but in general, no. But do they have a right to do it? Yeah, but I just, I wish they wouldn't. And we all, we're all curious. I, I get it. We are, we're all curious. And here you have a, then you get the jurors who are sitting there thinking, hey, this is my opportunity for my 15 minutes of fame. You know, I, I get to go on TV and I'll be on national TV. And otherwise, I would never be on national TV except that I was one of the people that sat there. I just, I just wish they wouldn't. I, I wish this was one where, just like Nancy Reagan talked about in the 1980s, where you should just say no to drugs, I wish the jurors would just say no when they get the request for the media to go and do interviews. All right. I need to do a disclaimer as we launch into this topic. Uh, Congressman Glenn Grothman is a Republican from the 6th Congressional District. That's essentially... I, I don't think there's any part of Milwaukee County. I could be wrong, but I don't think so. So it's it's Ozaki County and it's Fond du Lac County and it's you know you, you're, so you're you're moving up you know east central and then you move across a bit. So that that's kind of the, the area. Very very Republican district. Uh, Glenn Grothman has represented the district for. 
10 years. And again, by way of disclaimer, I always tell this story as well. Um, <clears throat> Glenn went to Homestead High School. I went to Nicolet High School, and we used to we were on respective debate teams. We used to debate against e- each other, you know, for for several years. So I've I've known Glenn for a long time. I mean, we we go back to to high school. I, I'm not. It's not like we're close social friends or anything like that, but we we have this kind of shared shared history. Glenn also is the congressman that represents the district that I live in, so he's he's my congressman. Here's the headline in the Journal Sentinel: Glenn Grothman plans to run for re-election in 2024, breaking five-term limit pledge made during his first campaign. U.S. Representative Glenn Grothman wants to stay in Washington longer than he previously said he would. Uh, the Glenn Beulah Republican indicated this week that he would break a pledge he made during his first campaign for Wisconsin's 6th Congressional District to serve only five two-year terms in the House, telling the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel he plans to remain on Capitol Hill after his current term ends in 24. Well, right now we're campaigning and raising money when asked about his campaign pledge to serve only five terms. I've only been here for only two of my 10 years. I've been here where we had a majority with a Republican president. I look forward to having that situation two years from today. The comments are a reversal from statements he made during the Republican primary for the seat in 2014 when he said he'd serve only 10 years in office. And uh, Grothman at the time talked about that he replaced um, Tom Petrie, who retired, and Petrie had represented the district for 35 years. And, and one of the issues was, he said, some voters are concerned they're going to get another congressman who will be in Washington for 35 years. So he, he ran on a pledge that I'm not going to serve more than 10 years. He has rethought that. All right, that's not unlike Ron Johnson, who originally, you know, said he was only going to serve two terms. He made the decision he was going to run for a third term. That got all sorts of attention. Our number is 855-616-1620. That's the old National Bank talk and text line. Um, Glenn represents an overwhelmingly Republican district. He, He didn't have a challenger last time. 2018 was the last time he got a serious challenge, and that's when Dan Cole, who is related to Herb Cole, uh, moved back from Washington, D.C., poured a ton of money into the race, and he, he got crushed by Grothman. He lost by 11 points. So um, it's, it's a solid Republican seat. But I guess the question becomes, all right, you know, the 10 years ago, the representative said, hey, if I'm elected, I'm, I'm not going to run for more than I'm not going to be here for more than 10 years. He has decided that he is going to run for reelection. Should voters care? 855-616-1620. That's the old National Bank talk and text line. Now, this issue is obviously out there. So if there's someone who wants to challenge him, either, you know, in a Republican primary saying, hey, you said you were only going to be here for 10 years, so I'm going to run to replace you. Or use this as an issue in the general election. There, there's always the opportunity to do it. But I guess my question is, does anybody care about this? 855-616-1620. That's the old National Bank talk and text line we discuss in a moment. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Eight five five six one six one six twenty, which is the old National Bank talk and text line. Yeah, it, it's interesting. Just kind of looking through the text we're getting, it sort of breaks down like this: If you 
don't plan to vote for Republican. <clears throat> you don't don't plan to vote Republican, and you don't like Glenn Grothman. Well, all oh, this is terrible. He's a liar. And if you're one of his constituents, I, I don't see too many people that are um, being upset about um, this. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. Let's see. So, Jeff, the question is: Does anybody care if his word is good? Well, I mean, do, do things do things change? And I guess I see. I've always felt that these term limit pledges it, that that's never been an issue for me, one way or the other. I, I'm not a. If somebody says I'm only going to serve X amount of a term, X amount of years, and that comes up, and then okay, they've been there ten years or twelve years or whatever, and they decide to run again. To me. I don't care what they said 10 years ago or 12 years ago. To me, the question is, are they doing a good job? And do I want to see them continue doing the job? What What do I care about whether they stay in the job or whether they're replaced by somebody else if they're doing a good job? So that's why the, these term limit pledges have never made any it's never been a big deal or a voting issue for me in the first place. I think you can argue that sometimes that they're 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 kind of a gimmicky sort of thing. But again, to me, it's not like you just get to decide how long you're going to stay. Ultimately, the voters have the final say as to you know whether you're you're going to be there or not. Um, Jeff, I think there should be term limits for all elected officials. Well, you know that's that's of course. Another story. I think that there, as I've said before in this program, that there should be upper age limits. I mean, for me, it, it would be maybe 75 or, or 80. I, I think um, that I would be in favor of. You know, as far as, you know, term limits, you can only serve two consecutive terms or three consecutive terms. To me, again, the, the voters ultimately have the say. And if you are unhappy with your con- your congressman or congresswoman, or you're unhappy with your senator, they, they come up for election. Congress people come up every two years, and if you're unhappy with the job they're doing, or they've grown out of touch with their district or whatever, well, you you can you can fire them. Jeff, to me, job performance is much more important. Um, yeah, that's you know that's that's to me the the whole example of this now again if you i'm getting all these texts from people who just don't like glenn grothman well that, that's fine if you don't like glenn grothman I, I get it to me though the question and like i say he's my congressman it's going to be do i think he's doing a good job do i think he you know votes the way that i would like to have my congressional representative vote the overwhelming majority of the time and, and my answer you know to that would be Yes. Jeff, do you have an example of a politician making that pledge, serving and not breaking it? And Mark Newman comes to mind. Um, you know, Mark Newman, who was a congressman from the Racine area, um, you know, that's that's the case as I, I certainly think that that's the, the case. Um, Jeff, they shouldn't have said two terms or five terms. That being said, yes, I think he's doing a great job. And given... You know, all the liberals that are out there, I'm glad that conservatives decided to keep doing what they're doing. Um, Yeah. Um, Jeff, when Feingold did the same thing, it was okay, but now it's not. Well, this is not uncommon for politicians to say, okay, this is my plan. But in, in fairness to the politicians... Things do change. And, you know, you sit there and you say, hey, I, it's, you know, 10 years and I, I've just I'm 
think I'm still at the top of my game, etc. And if voters don't like it, you know, if voters don't like it, they can they can get rid of them. And and that's the the option that's there. So to me, am I going to go back and look at a at a promise or a pledge or something somebody made 10 years ago to say, OK, I'm going to term limit myself? That that to me isn't the issue. To me, the issue is, do I think the person's doing a good job are they capable of continuing to do the job? And if so, I really don't care about what they said 10 years ago. But that's just me. Louise in Cedarburg. Louise, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. I have been a constituent of Glen Groton for many years, all the way from Green Lake County to Ozaki County and whatever. And I can tell you he is... Uh, a very good representative. Uh, Glenn Grossman, if you call him, he will answer. He listens to his constituents. He goes to the groups to talk when he's invited. Uh, mm-hmm. Anything that um, we are doing and we invite him to come and see, uh, such as the Ozaki County Jail Literacy Program, when we've invited him to come, he's there, and many other things. He is our, uh, a very excellent federal representative, mm-hmm. and it's easy to criticize. Uh, the the uh, liberal constituents are the only ones that are going to c- criticize, trust me, because he has represented his district extremely well. He's, he, he is a conservative, and he, he acts as a conservative, and he votes as a conservative. And I don't care if he runs for, uh, for whatever. As long as he represents his constituents and does what and listens to them and votes uh, as yeah. they are happy with, that's all that counts. It doesn't make yeah. any difference how many years he has been in, but he's proven. He's a proven yeah. uh, a representative. I'm, yeah, I'm there. Louise, thanks for the call. Thanks for the call. You're a solid growth. But I, see, and that's, I, I guess that's, I, I was looking at this story, and th- this was my take when we had the, the same story about Ron Johnson. There's, there's not a single, <clears throat> I don't believe there's a single person out there who would support or intends and plans to support Glenn Grothman, who's going to change that support. Because, oh, yeah, I, I had even forgot that he said he was going to term limit himself, you know, 10 years ago. It, it's just, it's a non-voting issue. And for the people that don't like Grothman and aren't going to vote for him anyways, well, okay, it's just something else to add to to that, that stack. To me, I, I say, when I, when I hear this term limit stuff, I always take that with a huge grain of salt because, uh, again, Things change, and uh, Louise is actually right. I mean, I hear that about Grothman all the time. Glenn, he's he's out there with all these different groups, and he does a great job of community outreach. There, there's no question about, you know, he's very, very out there with his constituents and things like that. Very um, hardworking member of Congress. And this story, for, for everybody out there saying, oh, I can't believe that he's going to run for another term. I'll tell you, nobody in the district who supports him cares about this. Back with more in just a minute. Stick around. Jeff Wagner is right around the corner. And this is Jeff Wagner. One more semi-wonky thing before we move into the, the next hour where we've got some, some lighter stuff. You, you per, Perhaps you have heard the term ESG. And this is this is a this gets batted around a lot nowadays. It stands for environmental, social, and corporate governance, and it, it's the essence of what we call woke 
capitalism. There are companies out there and there are investment firms out there that decide that what we want to do is we want to be woke. So we want to invest our clients' money, not in the industries that are doing the best necessarily, where there's the biggest return, but we want to support companies that, okay, share our environmental views or our social views or, or things like that. So, you know, if you're if you're an energy company that's not committed to renewable energy, well, we don't want to put money in there, even though that means our investors are going to lose out. Well, what, what, hap- what has happened is for years and years and years, for those of you who invest money in pension plans and your 401ks or whatever, your advisors have a fiduciary duty. Dave Spano talks about that a lot, to make investments which are, are designed to have the best returns for you. Well, Joe Biden, as part of this idea to try to transform society, he's, through administrative actions, changed that rule, which now would allow your pension plan managers, instead of just trying to say, how can I do the best return for my client, they're allowed now to consider ESG, environmental, social, and corporate governance. So in other words, your return could be less they would be allowed to say, I'm going to invest in a less attractive stock because that stock, well, it supports um, our, our particular view on climate change or whatever. Joe Biden's first veto, what happened is Congress just passed a resolution that would change that rule. Say, no, you can't do that. You, you can't use this woke capitalism and inflict that on all these people who, you know, think their pension fund managers are trying to manage to try to get them the biggest return. No, you cannot do that. Well, Biden just yesterday vetoed that bipartisan resolution, which would have stopped this. And so at least now, investment managers can continue to be woke and they can take your money without you necessarily agreeing with that and they can make decisions based on their particular social views of this. Gee, I'm all in favor of uh, doing stuff to stop climate change, so let's not invest in these energy companies because you know we think we should be putting more in this or that or the other thing, even though the energy companies are making a bunch of money. Well, f- as far as I'm concerned, you know, if it's your pension money or whatever, you, you want the investments that are going to give you the greatest return. And if your investment manager is going to be woke, there sure better be all sorts of disclosure to that effect. But Joe Biden, he's happy with woke capitalism. I don't think many pensioners are going to be happy with it. When we come back, we're going to talk about cash. We're going to talk about NFL prospects who decide that getting involved in street races are a good idea. And, of course, Pop Culture Corner. Lots of stuff coming up in the 2 o'clock hour of the program. Don't go anywhere. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at the Avenue, it's the Jeff Wagner Show. Now, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the program. Okay, I, I said at the start of the show, we had a number of topics, over, and including a couple that I acknowledge were a little bit wonky, but they, they, they raised some of the, these bigger issues. I mean, and hopefully a little bit interesting. How, how could semiconductor chips be interesting? Well, it, it could be if, you know, we're trying to encourage American industry to develop semiconductor chips, but as a condition of that, you have to provide child care as the government dictates. It's kind of it's the, these bigger issues that are there. I, um, I, I, I've been changing my 
perspective and my actions on, on something. Um, for years and years, I have been a guy that has always carried a bit of cash on me. And, and by a bit of cash, I mean, I'm not talking about thousands of dollars, but I'm talking more than, than 10 or 20 or $25. I always say that. My wife says, oh, don't, don't say that on the radio. People are going to rob you. Well, it's not that much money. But I, I've always... I've always carried cash, and I feel uncomfortable actually, you know, going out of the house without having some cash on me. And I've got a whole bunch of credit cards and things like that, but that's always been the way I've operated. I've always had cash. Uh, And what I will typically do is when I get down to a certain level of of cash, and I, I have I have, um, let's see, I, I have the, like a little one of, I have a bill clip. That's that's what I do. So when I get down to a, a certain level of cash, then I'll go to the ATM machine and I'll, I'll get some more cash and then I'll carry it and I'll use it. I'll carry that for as long as it takes, you know, till I get down to whatever the level of cash that I'm comfortable with. One of the things that I have noticed over the last several months is I spend cash on very, very few things. And, and the way I'm able to tell that is, okay, there might have been a time where, hey, every week I was hitting the ATM machine to, to replenish my supply of cash. And now I, I can honestly say in the last two months, since the start of the year, I think I have been to the ATM machine twice. So, you know, in two-plus months, I've, I've gone twice where normally I would have done that pretty much every week. And that just tells me that I'm not spending, I'm not using cash for anywhere near the number of purchases that I used to. And I was trying to think this afternoon, okay, you know, what what are some of the things that I have spent cash on just in the last couple of weeks? A couple times when I was in a restaurant, we um, I, I left a cash tip. So I, I, as opposed to just putting it on the credit card, I put the, I put the meal on the credit card, but I, I left a cash tip. Um, on a couple occasions, I went into a convenience store where I was filling up the car with gas and I bought a, uh, I bought a purchase of newspaper. And rather than putting the newspaper on a credit card, I, I, I paid cash for the newspaper. Maybe a couple other examples like that. But other than tips and a couple small purchases, I've just I, I've pretty much just stopped using cash. I, and and it's not that I don't carry the cash. I, I have it, but I, I'm just not using it very much at all. And what really triggered me thinking about this is there's a story in the Wall Street Journal today. The number of ATMs, you know, automatic teller machines, has declined as people rely less on cash. And it says the pandemic drove digital payment surge for many, but those who depended on cash are feeling the crush. To slow move, the slow move towards a cashless society is helping, this is the story, to send the ubiquitous, that's a great college reading word, ATM into decline around the U.S. After peaking at nearly 470,000 ATMs in the U.S. in 2019, the number of machines has declined annually over the past year, few years. It's now down to 451,000 by the end of 2022. Um, the reason many people quit using cash during the pandemic and they have not gone back. Cash and checks are forecast to fall to 14% of total payments this year from 42% in 2010. 
Okay, let, 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 let those numbers sink in for a minute. In, in 2010, so you're talking 12, 13 years ago, 42% of payments that people made for stuff was either cash or by checks. This year, they estimate that that number is only going to be 14%. In other words, out of every 100 transactions that are conducted, only 15 will involve either cash or a check. Our number is 855-616-1620. That's the old National Bank talk and text line. Look, I was this guy that, that again, routinely carried a, a bunch of, of cash. And I'm really starting to rethink this because I still carry cash, but I'm not spending it at all. Okay, do you still use cash? And if so, I guess why or why not? 855-616-1620. That's the old National Bank talk and text line. I mean, even even for like smaller purchases, by, by smaller purchases, you know, it used to be if, if if I, if Fran and I would go out to breakfast and the, the tab for breakfast would be, I don't know, 20 bucks or whatever, I, I typically just pull out a 20 and I pay for that. But now more and more I'm, I'm paying cash. Also, what I'm noticing is there are, there are restaurants, for example, that I patronize that don't take cash anymore. I, I'm running into that. They'll, they'll take cash as tips. But, you know, if you go in, uh, you, you go into, there's, there's, place i'm going to go to this weekend that they they just they do not take cash or checks it's you know credit cards so you know if you go there and even if you're just ordering a beer at the bar or whatever you got to pay for it with a credit card cash is no good 855-616-1620 let's talk about it we discuss in just a minute 855-616-1620 jeff i rarely use cash mostly because my credit cards pay me to use them four percent for most purchases i make I always pay the statement balance, so no interest. Yeah, that's I, I'm I'm with that too. I can't. It has been decades since I I, I didn't pay off the credit card fully. What uh, Clark Howard, you know, who used to do the financial advice show on TMJ, he always called us freeloaders. You know, if you if you use your credit cards and then pay them off, so you don't pay interest, you're you're freeloaders. And he said that in a positive way, and so that's the way I've been. I, I'm just I, I, the story is talking about how the number of ATM machines are going down. So for people who rely on cash, it, it, in some respects, it's it's tougher to find. It's tougher to get the cash. But the flip side is the reason the number of ATM machines are going down is fewer and fewer people are using cash. And as somebody who routinely carried cash, I find myself using cash less and less. Tom in Hartford. Tom, you're on WTMJ. Yeah, Jeff. Uh, well, what you said before about this person that used credit card, I use credit card about 95% of the time. And every year on my credit card, I get back a check in February. And I can spend it on what I want, and I got a lot of money coming back. Pay up the bill right away. Um, yeah, there you go. that's yeah. No, thanks for the call, Tom. I, I think I mean I, I think that drives a lot of people. I, I'm also I, I'm thinking it's kind of a generational thing. One of my former producers, and whenever we we kind of discuss this, one of my former producers just never carried cash. Just, just and, and I don't. I don't, and I don't mean, I mean, he never carried any cash at all. Um, my wife, God bless her, I, I'm always, when, when she's like running errands or something or going to places, or I, I'm like, here, 
Do you have any cash? Well, no, I don't need cash. I've got a credit card. That's well, yeah, I understand. But here, just I will feel better. Here, take take forty bucks, take sixty bucks. You know, just put it in your purse. You know, put it in your wallet. Just hold it. And just well, why would I need it? And it turns out that she almost never does. But I don't know. You might be somewhere where they don't take credit cards or something happens or whatever. I want you to have it. But maybe I, I'm thinking that that is. That is old school, and, and maybe it's, it's completely useless nowadays, but it's still the way I am. But I am noticing, again, that I, my trips to the ATM machine are a lot less. 855-616-1620. Let's talk to uh, Cynthia in Waukesha. Hi, Cynthia. Hello, Jeff. How are you? I am well, thank you. I what do you have, think? Um, I have, uh, I to uh, have to have cash on me. I don't feel comfortable if I don't, but I will use my card because the ATM fees, these companies have gotten so greedy. If you don't use an ATM in your network, they want to charge you three, five bucks, and then your bank charges you another three, five bucks, and I just refuse to pay extra to use machines outside of my network. Yeah, I would never, you know, it's (laughs) funny. Yeah, no, it's funny because I'm... I've, I don't know that I've ever used an ATM. I mean, I, I, the, I go to the bank. I mean, the, there, there's, there's banks close to me that my bank is there, so I don't think I've ever paid an ATM machine fee. But, yeah, I, I can imagine. There's no way I'd pay 5 or 10 bucks or something just for the privilege of getting some of my own money out. I just wouldn't do it. And, and now some of the grocery stores, if you want cash back, charge a fee. I won't name the names, of course, but... Interesting. Well, no, thanks for the call, Cynthia. I, again, I, it's, 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 now there's, we're going to talk about this in just a second. I understand there's a flip side. And one of the, one of the reasons for small purchases that I always, I, I, I wanted to use cash was because you know, there, there is, the retailers have to pay a fee to the credit card company. So I kind of, you know, if, if I'm buying, if I'm buying a Sunday New York Times for six bucks, you know, I, I don't really want to put that on the. I don't want to really put that on the, the card. I want to be more in a situation where, you know, I, I don't want the retailer to have to get stuck with that. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. Rob in Green Bay. Rob, you're on WTMJ. Yeah, Jeff. Uh, you know, I, I'm kind of like you. I, I usually try and keep about a hundred dollars in my wallet. We will use a debit card. But I have noticed that there there will be times when we will we will go into some of these establishments and the and computers. I mean, these systems will actually go down, and then you know you got to sit there and wait for it to go down, or yeah. somebody's got to write your card number. And I'd rather just sell it with the cash that I have. Right, right. You know, and we do that. I mean, thanks for calling. And I, again, that's I, I'm trying to think my 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 biggest uses of, of cash would be again small purchases like in convenience stores and um again maybe for some small tabs in restaurants but even then i I just i i find myself and and i was a holdout and if if you've been if you've listened to this program over the the years thank you very much but you know whenever we've talked about subjects like this i've always been now i only feel comfortable having x amount of cash but i i am rethinking this because I, do I have cash? Yes, but the, the my opportunities to use it have, for whatever reason, dramatically decreased. John and Dousman. John, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Uh, good afternoon. Uh, yeah, I actually own an ATM business, and the okay. last two years, um, uh, my numbers have been up about forty percent on usage. Really? 
What do you, wow, uh, what, what do you attribute yeah. it to? Maybe fewer other ATMs, less competition, or what do you think is going on? Uh, no, I think what it is is um, most of my placements are in bars and taverns, and uh. they survive on gambling machines. And gambling machines, you can only use cash. <laughs> I got it. <laughs> so you you've got to you've got to niche. See, I, I was thinking about one of these big macroeconomic things. Well, maybe you know there's fewer ATM machines out there, and so there's there's more de- demand for yours. But no, you just got them in great locations. You got the people that want to play the the video poker or whatever, huh? Uh, that's correct. And also, I found out just through doing it for 15 years is uh, bars and restaurants, and actually, uh, I. I started to do tattoo facilities, uh, tattoo parlors, and those have been really good for me. Also, um, the younger gen- uh, the younger demographics uh, tend to use cash more than than older people. And also, I've tried like upper upscale facilities, and and I, I get almost no usage on my ATM machines through through upscale facilities. But the corner bars, yeah, they they still pretty much use use cash almost exclusively at those places. Oh, okay, John, I, I'm. I, I'm I'm fascinated. I have to ask you a follow up question. I, I get the bars, mm-hmm. you know, for the gambling machines and stuff. Mm-hmm. What is your theory as to why tattoo parlors are using the ATM machines? Um, I, I don't know. I, I okay. actually put the first one in about five years ago, yeah. questioning if I could even do it. But I think yeah. what it is is that the artists themselves push people to use it because then. They don't have to pay the surcharge oh. on the uh, credit card processing. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Thanks for calling. I don't make it. I. I, it, I guess it makes it. That's that's an interesting theory. Like I say, I mean, I understand. You know, bars with the gambling machines and things like that. I mean, I understand why. You know, at a casino, for example, you know, the, there might be a demand on the on the ATM machines. I, I get that. Tattoo parlors. <laughs> you know, I'm just okay. But you see, you 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 learn something new every day. That's it. As a matter of fact, speaking of tattoo parlors, I I have no tattoos, but my I'm not. Hope I'm not. Well, I'm not telling tales out of school because if you see my brother, you know, wearing shorts, he, he my brother's got a couple tattoos. This was kind of part of his midlife crisis, I guess, a while back. And you know, he was at this tattoo parlor. He was getting this tattoo, and um, one of the I think one of the owners came back and and said. Uh, are you you related to to Jeff Wagner? And you know this. And my brother's always hesitant because this can go either way. You know, it could be, hey, we're big fans, or I can't stand the show, or whatever. And you don't necessarily like when you're getting the tattoo. You don't necessarily want to honk off the tattoo artist. But you know, he was honest. He said, yeah, I, yeah, I, I am. It's my brother, and they 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 loved it. They said, well, this this is great. We listen to the show all the time here, and you should tell him to to come on down. So I. I, I, I'm not quite at that point in, in time, and I don't think I'm going to go the tattoo route, but we're big in tattoo parlors, so I love that. We'll be back in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Touched a nerve with the conversation about cash. Jeff, my husband hates seeing debit receipts from McDonald's for just a Coke. That, actually, this is sort of one of the related things, and my wife should be very proud of me. I... I, I would yeah, if I'm if I'm going through a fast food drive-through line, I, I'm not paying with a credit card. I'm gonna I'm gonna pay with cash with that. But I mean seriously, I, I said I, I don't. I, I was trying to think of examples in the last two months, and so I, I've been making a conscious effort to try to eat better, and she's been pushing me on that. I I haven't been. 
I have not been in a fast food place. I have not been through a, a drive through line in the t- last two months. I guarantee it. And that's, that was probably something that might from time to time have eaten up a little bit of cash. But that's just more evidence. You know, you don't need that cash if you're not going through the uh, drive through line.